your source when you need answers. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. In 1909, Leo Bakeland unveiled Bakelite, the world's first fully synthetic plastic, at a meeting of the New York chapter of the American Chemical Society. What natural material had Bakeland been trying to duplicate that eventually led to his his synthesis of Bakelite? If you know the answer to that question, you give us a call at 514-790-0800. You can also text us at 514-800. Welcome aboard. I'm Joe Schwartz. I direct McGill University's Office for Science and Society. And uh, I uh, chat with you every Sunday afternoon here about happenings in the world of science, uh, tickle your mind with a few quizzes, and uh, uh, kind of create interest in science, hopefully. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of interest in uh, one aspect of science uh, these days, and that is in the area of, of viruses. So let's talk about that uh, a little bit uh, about the the question of, of viruses. Uh, many people are not really so familiar with things. Uh, they're sort of in the strange realm between the living and the non-living. Viruses cannot reproduce on their own, but once they infect animals, plants, fungi, or bacteria, uh, then they hijack the host, and then they can multiply and make many copies of themselves. Viruses are, are uh, actually little bundles of genetic material, like DNA, and surrounded by a coating of protein. And uh, sometimes viruses can coax the host cell to uncontrolled multiplication, and that leads to cancer. Viruses are very small. The average virus is about 1 one-hundredth of the size of bacteria. The very first virus that was ever discovered was the tobacco mosaic virus, and uh, it is so called because it makes like mottling discoloration of the tobacco plant, and it eventually destroys the plant. Way back in 1892, Russian biologist Dmitry Ivanovsky investigated this disease. And uh, at first he thought that it was a, a bacterial contamination. So he made an extract of the plant, and he filtered this uh, extract of the crushed leaves through a Chamberlain porcelain filter. And these filters were known to filter out bacteria. But the fact is that the filtrate was still infectious, even though it contained no bacteria. So he thought that maybe it was some toxin that the bacteria had originally produced that was still in his filtrate. Well, in 1898, Martinus Bajernik independently replicated uh, Ivanovsky's filtration experiments and then showed that the infectious agent was able to reproduce and multiply in the host cells of the tobacco plant. He coined the term virus to indicate that the causal agent of tobacco mosaic disease was of non-bacterial nature. And uh, the tobacco mosaic virus was the first virus to eventually be crystallized. Uh, that was done by Wendell Meredith Stanley in 1935, uh, who also showed that uh, this virus remained active even after crystallization. And uh, he was awarded one quarter of the Nobel Prize in Chemistry in 1946 uh, for, for this work. Uh, 
1939, the electron microscope had been uh, invented and uh, viruses could be seen. And uh, the tobacco mosaic virus was the first one that was seen and characterized. And uh, that was done by uh, a number of crystallographers. So anyway, it was the investigation of tobacco mosaic virus and uh, the subsequent discovery of its viral nature, uh, and that led to the establishment of the general concept of virology. And there are many diseases today that we know are caused by, um, by viruses. And uh, you're familiar with uh, many of these diseases, uh, things like polio, of course, uh, uh, caused by a virus, uh, dengue fever caused by a virus, uh, measles, of course, caused by a virus. But uh, bubonic plague is not caused by a virus. Bubonic plague is uh, a bacterial disease, has killed millions and millions of people throughout uh, history. Uh, so both bacterial and viral diseases can be, uh, of course, deadly. The one that we are concerned about now is the coronavirus, and uh, it is so-called because when you look in, through an electron microscope, uh, the virus looks like it is surrounded by a crown, and thus the corona uh, effect. Uh, obviously, there's a tremendous amount of investigation into this now, but it didn't take long for pseudoscientific claptrap to get into this discussion. And that's not something new. Whenever uh, some sort of uh, disease emerges, the quacks are very, very quick to jump on it. And in this case, it all started with a video of a lady, supposedly in Wuhan, eating a bat. And uh, the, the inference uh, was, uh, obviously with some racist overtones, that it was the Chinese habit of consuming strange foods that put the population of the world at risk. Well, the truth is that this video had nothing to do with Wuhan, and uh, it was around before this coronavirus uh, scare. It was all part of a travel program, and it showed a Chinese host sampling a, a dish of bat on the Pacific island of Palau, where such exotic foods are apparently favored. As is often the case, the twaddle that spreads like wildfire on the internet has a curtain of truth. Uh, DNA evidence does indicate that the coronavirus was transmitted to humans from some wild animal. And epidemiologists have even targeted a market in Wuhan that offered the likes of beavers and porcupines and snakes uh, as the possible ground zero, although there's a lot of controversy uh, about that. But it is possible that bats uh, still play a role in, in this because it is known that they can transfer viruses to other animals through their feces. And uh, it's possible that uh, the animals in this uh, market uh, somehow became contaminated by being exposed to bat feces. Anyway, the term wet market, which you are going to hear a lot about in this uh, discussion, comes from the copious amounts of water used in, in uh, these establishments to clean the floor of the animal excreta and the remnants of, of butchering. And this does make for a condition that allows microbes to thrive and contaminate workers. And of course, uh, if the workers can 
get contaminated, they also contaminate whatever they handle, uh, such as the food that they sell. But most likely, it was uh, workers inhaling uh, some of the airborne viruses that caused the problem, and then uh, this was transmitted to others. So the thinking uh, goes. And indeed, back in 2002, Two, you remember the SARS epidemic? Well, that was actually traced to uh, one of these wet markets uh, where civet cats were sold for their supposed aphrodisiac qualities of the scent glands. And there's even a restaurant in Beijing to this day that specializes in animal genitalia. Uh, of course, they sell this uh, because it's supposed to have some sexual enhancing prowess, which is not the case, not true. And the menu includes sheep testicles and, and thinly sliced donkey penis, uh, although women are cautioned to stay away from the testicles because the hormones they contain can result in deeper voice and beer growth. Anyway, there's no evidence of any aphrodisiac effect, and uh, but uh, no reports, of course, of, of any kind of infection have been linked to that restaurant. But people are, you know, bringing this up, uh, sort of demonstrating the strange things that are eaten in China, and uh, uh, surmising from this that you know this is the problem uh, that spread coronavirus. Well, there might be a food relationship, but we're going to have to do a lot more research to find out really what is. Uh, what is going on. Uh, you're listening to the Dr. Joe Show. We have to take a break and we'll be right back. Life's everyday mystery solved. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Let me repeat my question, which you seem to be having trouble with. Uh, in 1909, Leo Bakeland, uh, a chemist, introduced Bakelite, the first truly synthetic plastic. It was sort of an accidental discovery. What was he trying to make? when he came up with uh, Bakelite. If you know the answer to that, 514-790-0800. You can also text us at 514-800. And I have a second question for you. Everyone these days is talking about the N95 mask as protection for the coronavirus. What does it mean? What does the N stand for? And what does the 95 stand for? Again, 514-790-0800 if you have the answer to that uh, question. I was uh, talking, uh, of course, about the coronavirus, as everyone is talking about these days. And uh, I also want to make a point of, of the fact that uh, the quacks are getting into this and all kinds of nonsense that is being spread on the Internet uh, about this. And... Uh, it's that nonsense is just enough to to make you sick. Uh, for example, uh, there's this uber quack Jim Humble, uh, who originated something called the Miracle Mineral Solution. Well, the only miracle there is is that he's still at large, and that authorities have not put him in jail for for spewing such ridiculous medical ad advice. Um, what he sells, this miracle uh, mineral solution, is uh, sodium chloride that you mix with uh, an acid like citric acid, and that will generate chlorine dioxide, which is basically industrial bleach. And he claims that this uh, helps most diseases of mankind. Not so. doesn't help anything. Uh, it is potentially highly dangerous, and uh, no one should be taking... Uh, 
miracle minerals solution, uh, hoping to prevent or cure the coronavirus. Uh, Dr. Gabriel Cousins, C-O-U-S-C-N-S, who's a physician and is also a homeopath. One would think that those would be mutually exclusive, but they're not. They're physicians who buy into this uh, nonsense. And he has gotten into the game. He has a checkered history. It includes loss of license for excessive prescribing, a lawsuit because uh, of the death of a patient uh, caused by cousins injecting him with bovine adrenal fluid. And he has also attempted to cure diabetes with a raw food diet. And he believes that, quote, a singlet oxygen atom of iodine is the most powerful antiviral substance available to us. This is a scientifically ridiculous term. But nevertheless, he sells something he calls Ilumadine, which is supposedly uh, this concoction, whatever this this singlet oxygen atom of iodine is. I have no idea what this could possibly be, but he says that it is organic. Yeah, or organic iodine. That's a good one. He also says that it's radiation-free, 100% bioavailable, scalar wave energized, algae-free, and 100% pure. What it is is 100% percent pure nonsense. I don't know how anyone with any sort of medical training can write such rubbish. Uh, He does admit that he has no experience treating coronavirus infections. Nevertheless, he states that, quote, I found that 5 to 15 drops per hour of his supposedly miraculous Ilumodin until the infection is gone is a reasonable protocol for most viral infections. No, it is not reasonable. There is no evidence that any form of iodine cures viral infections. And cutlery does not prevent them. Why do I say that? Because there's another circulating piece of wisdom on the Internet. informs us, quote, During the plagues, families that used the silver utensils were not affected to the same extent as those who used other materials to eat with. Therefore, we are told to Get out the family set of silver cutlery that we used to use only for special occasions and start eating with this because silver is antiviral, antibacterial, antifungal, and has demonstrated the ability to repair damaged DNA. First, the plague was not caused by a virus, but rather by bacteria transmitted through flea bites. The only way cutlery would have helped was if it had been used to swat fleas. While it is true that silver has antimicrobial effects, that does not extend to viruses. You're not going to protect yourself against the coronavirus by eating with a silver spoon. Then there is the ultimate lunacy of homeopathy, the treatment of existing disease with non-existing molecules. In this case, the treatment is with arsenic trioxide, albeit, of course, diluted to the extent that the final solution contains nothing, according to the tenets of homeopathy. Uh, Of course, uh, there's absolutely no evidence, and there can be no evidence that arsenic in any way can destroy the coronavirus, at least not without destroying the patient. Amazingly, this bit of quackery comes from the Indian Ministry of Ayurveda, Yoga, Naturopathy, Unani, Siddha, Sowa, Rikpa, and Homeopathy. Yes, India has such a ministry. 
The advice of treating coronavirus with homeopathy or with various Ayurvedic herbs has been roundly lambasted by the Indian Medical Association, as of course it should be. Undoubtedly, as the coronavirus scare continues to spread, so will the nonsense about its cause and treatment. The virus is not a bioweapon that escaped from a laboratory, nor was it unleashed by Bill Gates to curb overpopulation, and there is no vaccine that is being kept from the public. Neither will infection be cured with healing crystals, oil of oregano, or drinking Corona beer. And remember this, you are far, far more likely to be infected by the flu than by the coronavirus. So wash your hands, wash them frequently. That is a good weapon against the flu and, of course, against any kind of other virus as well. But at this point, there's no reason to go batty over the coronavirus. Uh, in Canada, uh, we are not in a situation where we have to worry about it becoming an epidemic. Of course, we cannot rule out that that could happen. It could happen. But uh, right now, our worry should be the flu, not the coronavirus. Okay, so uh, let me repeat the questions that I had uh, asked. Why is uh, uh, the mask that everyone is uh, looking for these days called the N95? What does the N stand for and what does the 95 stand for? And also, I asked a question about uh, Bakelite. Bakelite was the first ever truly synthetic plastic. It was introduced in 1909, introduced by Leo Bakeland. Leo Bakeland was a Belgian chemist who had come to the uh, U.S. And uh, he came upon Bakelite when he was searching to make another substance. The question was, what was that other substance? And uh, I think maybe Jean-Pierre has the answer to that. Jean-Pierre? Hi. Hi. Uh, could the answer be uh, for making pool balls? No, it wasn't for making pool uh, balls for uh, the pool table. Uh, eventually, Bakelite was used uh, for that, but that is not what he was uh, searching for. Okay, thanks anyway for that valiant attempt. So what was Leo Bakeland looking to synthesize when he came up with uh, Bakelite? All right, think about that. Uh, let your fingers do the walking on the keyboard. And uh, also, I'm looking for the answer to what the N means in N95 and what is the 95 all about. If you know that, you give us a call 514-790-0800 or you can text me at 514-800. Tomorrow, uh, first uh, Monday in February, I'll be at the Cote St. Luke Public Library for my usual monthly appearance. And tomorrow, it will be the chemistry of love because soon we'll be celebrating Valentine's Day, 2 o'clock. Everyone is invited. Of course, it is free. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. We will take a break and be right back. Science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Let's see if Al has an answer to my question about uh, Bakelite. Hi, Al. Uh, Yes, hi, Dr. Joe. I always enjoy your talks on Sunday. Very, very informative. Uh, yeah, uh, well, doc, the the, doc, uh, the doctor, the um, the chemist, uh, Bakeland, I believe, was looking for a replacement for shellac. 
yes. uh, which uh, was uh, being extracted from the secretion of a certain insect, which was in, uh, in very short supply in the world at that time. And uh, by experimenting, uh, he discovered bakelite. So, and I have a question about about the um, about the uh, the ongoing uh, problem with the um, with the uh, virus. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, Doctor Joe, I came across this uh, preprint paper that was published on a on a web server uh, for biology. Um, the web server is BioRx4. And um, it is a paper that was uh, um, uh, written in a uh, New Delhi university. And uh, the title of the paper is Uncanny Similarity of Unique Inserts in the 2019 NCOV Spike Protein to HIV-1, GP120, and uh, GAG. And um, the paper goes on to suggest that... uh, they sequenced the um, the virus DNA, and they discovered that there were four inserts which uh, were unique to this particular two o one nine MCOV strain of the uh, the virus. Now um, it hasn't been confirmed, but basically their finding um, suggests that there is a remote possibility that this particular coronavirus may have, and I, I'm not saying that it is, but it may have been uh, engineered, bioengineered. Now, that is a very, very unusual coincidence because there was a, a um, Chinese government biolab um, less than 20 miles from the site in Wuhan where the uh, virus originally um, uh, was, um, was uh, started. So I, I'd just like to know what your, your thoughts are, Dr. Joe. I don't know. I mean, you know, this uh, this would require much, much deeper investigation. Uh, I'm sure there are all kinds of stories that are going to come out, you know, about uh, how this virus uh, uh, infected people. Why, why I'm concerned is because the, uh, the, uh, the paper is highly technical. It was um, obviously written by uh, competent and qualified mm-hmm. uh, bioscientists. So, well, I'm uh, sure and, vi- and also, you know, virologists are going to have a look at all of this, and we'll of see. Course, of course. I, I can tell you that I've seen a lot of uh, uh, technical papers in, in journals that are garbage. So, okay, I, we'll, I you know, understand. We'll, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, if, if there's something to this, it will come out. But uh, one more one more comment, Dr. Joe. I, I'm also um, concerned why the, the Chinese government delayed uh, notification of all the international uh, uh, agencies of the virus for nearly a month. For nearly a month, they, they kept that under wraps. Yeah, and, well, China uh, is a different society than ours. It's, a, okay. it's not an open society. And uh, they do everything to protect themselves you know and they they didn't want any bad press uh, they didn't want the you know the financial consequences which we are seeing Understood. so Understood. yeah anyway well, thank okay you. thanks very much for thank, the yeah, for the for shellac comments, Dr. Joe. okay well uh, as you heard shellac which is really the resinous secretion of a bug called the lacifer laca it's a beetle 
And uh, when it's heated and filtered, it produces varnish, and that, of course, was used to protect wood. But with the electrical age, it proved to be an excellent insulator, which is why Bakeland was interested. As early as 1872, Adolf von Bayer was investigating the residue of phenol and formaldehyde when he was trying to make synthetic dyes. So he didn't further investigate this residue, but Bakeland did. Bakeland had money because of his earlier invention of Velox, a highly sensitive photographic paper that he sold to George Eastman for a million dollars. And he bought an estate in New York overlooking the Hudson where he converted a barn into a lab. And uh, that is where he uh, did his research, uh, trying to make shellac, but instead came up with Bakelite. And Bakelite is a very interesting material. Uh, it's collectible. There was some very interesting jewelry that was made out of uh, Bakelite. Uh, I have some of those. And uh, so it was one of these uh, interesting accidental discoveries. Okay, I think Andy has been waiting a long time here. Andy. Been waiting, Joe. Listen, first of all... Andy, who has I... vanished for years and now has reappeared two weeks in a row. <laughs> the thing is this, I don't vanish, but I don't call because a lot of times people don't want me on air. Believe it. Believe it. Now, How could that be when you're such a font of wisdom? <laughs> thing is this, I call uh, LBC in London. <laughs> now they don't even let me on, although I did not insult anybody. I just told them the truth, which they don't want to hear because of political correctness. Now, getting back to this disease, first of all, the disease can be spread naturally by people. Even my father, who was no chemist, no idea, he said one thing, the movement of people are the greatest cause of diseases because they carry it. And that's why when this disease came out in China, the airlines, uh, American, North American Airlines, Air Canada, all those, they should have said, okay, nobody goes there, and anybody who comes in will be quarantined for at least uh, two weeks. Because well, that's takes, basically what they're doing now. Yeah, but they should have been done a little bit faster. But you see, economic uh, money takes over everything else. I, I don't know. It's not that simple because it took a while to figure out exactly what was happening and, you know, how uh, how it was spreading and yeah, what this Joe, virus was. There's one thing. If, you know, in a communist country, the information does not come out all right away. They hold it back, and we should be double, we should be much more uh, <laughs> cautious than to any other Europe. Uh, well, normal exactly. I, the information was held back. That's why the North American Airlines didn't have the chance to, to uh, take the measures right away. Okay. Now, the other thing is this. Insulin is a drug that was created in Toronto, I believe, by a Canadian, and he left the formula to everybody, so no any no pharmaceutical firm should control it, right? Right. Now, then how come the same insulin that cost in Canada $20 in the United States is over 200 I or even $300? Because they can get away with it. It's, yeah, but this one it's whatever thing. the market will bear. Yeah, but there's one thing. This is, how should I say, uh, economic um, monopoly. Mo uh, what's the word? Not even... Um, it's unfair what, let me put it this way, the pharmaceutical industry, which we need, but they are being, how should I say, a little bit, 
that overbearing. Certainly certainly you're right in the case of insulin because there's no reason for it to be that expensive. By the way, I listened to the program on CJD between 2 o'clock and 5 o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. And there, there are a lot of people, doctors, scientists call up, and they talk about the pharmaceutical industry. It's sort of a... mm, or bad organization because they take advantage and they actually they do a lot of good but they get much more out of it than they should be getting. Well, listen, the pharmaceutical industry is not a philanthropic enterprise, and I of course, that. of course, they try to make money. Anyway, we've got to check traffic and take a break. But I'm glad that you emerged out of uh, wherever you emerged from. Okay, thanks. You're listening to the Doctor Joe Show. We'll be right back. Your source when you need answers. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. I'm still looking for the answer to my question. N95 masks. Everyone's talking about them. What is the N and what is the 95? You give us a call at 514-790-0800 if you know the answer to that. Uh, Let's go to Jerry. Jerry? Yes, hi, Dr. Joe. Hi. Yeah, uh, the N95 mask is um, called that way because it filters 95% of particular uh, airborne particles. And uh, I believe what the kind? Whoa, whoa, whoa! What kind of airborne particles? Uh, oh, 0.3 microns or smaller. Very good. And uh, the N, I think, probably for the National Institute of uh, Occupational Safety and exactly. Health. Exactly, that's what it is. The mask was developed by the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health in the U.S. And it does filter out very, very small particles. 0.3 microns is very, very small. But the, it's really, really, really hard to breathe with that. It we is. It's very uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. The, the <laughs> reason that, uh, of course, that it works is because it pro- provides a complete seal around the yep. nose and the mouth. Yep. But that makes it very, very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it probably does provide protection, you know, against uh, the virus. But I think at this point in, in Canada, uh, we just don't have enough indication that uh, we should be wearing masks. As you were saying, they should be a lot more worried about the flu, which Absolutely. kills thousands of Canadians yeah. and yeah. Americans every year. Yep. <laughs> thanks a lot, Dr. Joe. Okay, thanks very much. Okay, then we have a question about cashews. Yes. Hi. Uh, thank you, doctor, for taking my call. I want to know where cashew nuts, you know, like peanuts... Cashew is not actually a nut. Oh, they're so good, Dr. Schwartz. It's not a nut, you know oh, that? Oh, they're so... Are you listening to me? Oh, pardon? Are you listening? Yes, I'm listening. It's not a nut. No! No. Are you serious? The cashew is a fruit. No kidding. No wonder they're so delicious. <laughs> oh, wow. But nutri- I, I want to know where they come from. It comes from the cashew apple. Yeah, and where does the apple grow? It grows on a tree, and at the bottom of the apple, you have these bean-like things, and that's what is called the cashew nut. Okay, but... But it uh, is quite nutritious. In what country do they grow? Uh, they grow uh, anywhere. They uh, it's uh, they need a warm climate, but they, they grow in the U.S. Okay, so some of them are from the U.S. Mm-hmm. Okay, t- thank you, doctor. Okay. Uh, have a good uh, thank weekend. Thank you. You too. Let's go to Milad. Hey, Milad. Yes, uh, Dr. Joe. Hi. Again, concerning the coronavirus, or or any virus for that matter, uh, we know when they develop the vaccine, it's like they, introduce, they familiarize the immune system with a specific sequence uh, of peptide uh, of amino acid. Uh, there is a there are some like uh, researchers 
or uh, vaccine uh, developing uh, uh, re- research, they incorporate they hedge their bet by incorporating like three different peptides. Uh, you know that way. Well, let can... me tell you that that uh, there are labs around the world right now working feverishly on a vaccine against this virus. With all the science of spectroscopy, why can't we so far figure out the sequence for this virus? Oh, you can, and they will. I, I think most of it already has been sequenced. Uh-huh. So they, uh, I think there's a good chance eventually that they will come up with a, a vaccine. But, uh, you know, that doesn't happen overnight because even when you come up with a vaccine, it has to be tested and you need uh-huh. clinical trials. So, you know, right. you don't just uh, put a vaccine on the market without uh, doing uh, extensive investigation about the consequences. Okay. So there's not going to be tomorrow that we get a vaccine for this. Okay. Anyway, this this week I think is is going to be the critical week because we will see what the progression of the disease is and how widely it is uh, spreading and just what the effect of the uh, uh, quarantine is is going to be. Uh, when we say uh, the virus is mutating, is it the DNA that is mutating, yes. or is it because the message it gives to the to the pro- protein code to change? Well, that, I mean, the that's the same the thing. They, it, when w- the DNA is the blueprint for the proteins that are produced, right. so if there's a mutation in the DNA, then of course they will start producing different proteins. Right. And this is also, you know, one of the difficulties why you don't uh, just so simply develop a vaccine right. because the the, the DNA and the protein code are always changing. Right. Anyway, it, it's it's not a happy situation. Uh-huh. Uh, that's for sure. And um, we'll see. I think this week we will see uh, which way it's going. Okay. Thanks very much. Uh, again, let me remind you, tomorrow, uh, 2 o'clock, I'll be at the Eleanor London Public Library. We'll talk about the science of love. Because uh, a couple of weeks from now, we'll be celebrating Valentine's Day. Uh, I was uh, just in Washington uh, this week, and I uh, was there to give a, a talk to the Hemophilia Association. But uh, just so happened that uh, my hotel was right next to the convention center where they had the Washington uh, Auto Show. And I thought that this would be interesting, uh, worth a look-see, and I did. And indeed it was. Uh, it's a huge, huge uh, auto show. Uh, hundreds of cars, and must be, you know, just uh, quite an amazing uh, thing to get all of these cars in there on three different floors. And they had some interesting uh, vintage cars, and of course, uh, they had prototypes of uh, the cars of the future. And uh, the one that uh, caught my attention was um, a hydrogen car that uh, is being produced by Toyota. And they already have sold uh, several hundred of these cars, uh, but only in very specific areas of, of, of the world because, of course, for a hydrogen car to run, you need uh, a source of hydrogen, and hydrogen s- service stations are few and far between, but there are some in California. So there are people in California who have the hydrogen car. Uh, they made a, a big deal in the promotion of the hydrogen car about it being green and environmentally friendly and how nothing comes out of the tailpipe except water. Now, that, of course, is true. Uh, 
there actually are two types of, of hydrogen cars. Hydrogen can be used directly as a fuel. It burns very, very uh, efficiently, produces a lot of power. Uh, all you have to do is uh, visualize the uh, launch of the space shuttle. Right, the main engines of the space shuttle uh, burned uh, hydrogen supplied uh, with oxygen from liquid oxygen tanks. We're talking about the main uh, engines, not not the uh, uh, the tubes that you see on the side of of the uh, of the shuttle. Those are the booster rockets. Those used uh, ammonium perchlorate, but uh, the main engines used uh, hydrogen. So hydrogen can certainly burn, and when it burns, it produces only water. So in a hydrogen car where the hydrogen burns, uh, indeed only water comes out of the tailpipe. This is true. There's another kind of hydrogen car where the hydrogen is not burned directly, but it is used to supply a fuel cell. In a fuel cell, hydrogen combines with oxygen and uh, that generates uh, electricity and it is the electricity that runs uh, the car. Uh, of course, uh, one questions that particular technology because uh, we already have electric cars and uh, we can uh, certainly draw electricity in an easier way than having to generate it from fuel cells. But anyway, what, what I want to mention is, you know, the argument that the hydrogen car is so green. Uh, well, when it is running, that's true because it is not spewing out any carbon dioxide. It's only spewing out water. Incidentally, water, of course, is also a greenhouse gas, but never mind that. Uh, the question is where the hydrogen comes from. Hydrogen is indeed the most abundant element in the universe, but hydrogen is a gas, and it's very difficult to capture it and put it into a cylinder. In fact, you have to make it. And the way that hydrogen is now made, 95% of hydrogen made in the world today, is made from natural gas. It's made from methane. And uh, methane is combusted in the presence of, of, of steam, and uh, that forms hydrogen. And uh, hydrogen, of course, can be compressed, it can be put into cylinders, and then it can be burned directly, or it can be used to run a fuel cell. But the process by which hydrogen is made requires energy, and that energy has to come from somewhere. So there is going to be production of, of CO2 when hydrogen is produced from uh, fracking of, of methane. And of course, there are issues with fracking as well. As you know, there's concerns about some of the chemicals that are used in, in fracking. So I don't think that the hydrogen car is going to be the answer because hydrogen is difficult to uh, produce, difficult to contain. And uh, of course, uh, it doesn't solve the problem of not using uh, any kind of uh, fossil fuel. But I can tell you that the hydrogen cars that I saw at the car show were really beautiful. I wouldn't mind having one just for the aesthetics, but it is not green. Uh, there are green cars, and uh, those are the hybrids and the electric cars, but for now, not the hydrogen car. That's it. We are smack out of time. I'll see some of you tomorrow, 2 o'clock, at the Eleanor London Public Library. We'll talk about love. And for the rest of you, I will see you here next week at the same time. And until then, I'm Joe Schwartz, hoping all the chemistry in your life comes out just right. <laughs>